Hello and welcome to episode 150 of Herpetological Highlights, the podcast about reptile and amphibian science. I'm Tom Major, co-hosting with me, as always, Ben Marshall. Uh-huh. And yeah, Ben, we're up to 150 episodes, mate. That's <laughs> a lot of episodes. A little bit of an aborted air horn <laughs> to celebrate. That was so bad. Yeah, we're here, 150 episodes. I think that's something to be proud of. Let's try the air. Yeah. That's better. That's, that's better. better. That's, that's more acceptable. Yeah. Satisfactory. <laughs> Satisfactory air horn. But yeah, no, 150 episodes, mate. Well done us. Like we kept at it and uh, here we are. It's good to we'll be We'll just ignore here. the fact that the episodes are shorter now and so therefore we've sort of accelerated the rate of uh, episode numbers being used up as of late. Yes, that's fair. That's fair to say. But nevertheless, we're still up to 150, you know, go us. <laughs> And yeah, for this 150th instalment, we've got an episode. We're talking about turtles, aren't we? Which uh, is always nice to come back to. I feel like it's rare. turtles are disproportionately popular for how well represented they are in scientific literature. Like people love them, but we seldom find a reason to talk about them. <sighs> yeah. Is that fair? I think that is fair. I think that it's, there's fewer of them in terms of species. And they're rather awkward because they live in the sea and underwater, and therefore you can't just walk about and see one. Mm, so yeah, you have to put a little bit more effort in. I think so. You do have to put. A they're not exactly the most practical animal to study. No, they're not. No, they're not. Well, yeah, we're talking about a sea turtle this time. I'll just briefly introduce the paper. So it's by Hounslow, Fassett, Burns, Whiting, Lamborn, Armstrong, Tucker, Richardson and Gleiss, published in 2022. And the title is Multivariate Analysis of Biologging Data Reveals the Environmental Determinants of Diving Behaviour in a Marine Reptile, published in the Royal Society of Open Science. Reptile, but not just any marine like reptile. That. Special one, special flat boy. Yeah. Not fat boy, flat boy. What are they called? Flatback flatback turtles. Yeah, they're the flatbacks. They're hilarious. They are cool. Like I would say they're not that no compared to No, if you're thinking of like a pancake tortoise and that sort of flatness, no. That's way flatter than this thing. But it is still relatively flat. It's It's certainly flat relative smooth. Mm. Yeah, flat, smooth. But it's flat relative to other sea turtles, which I imagine is why it got its name. Because if you were accustomed to seeing like a green sea turtle with that nice concave shell, convex shell. Well, it's concave on the inside, it's convex on the outside. Okay. (laughs) And anyway, so uh, yeah, if you're accustomed to seeing those, you'd think, oh, that is quite flat, actually. And they're named appropriately, too. So they're called Natator depressus the flatback sea turtle and the meaning of that name and it's a monotypic genus there's only the one species in in natator and it's this turtle but the genus natator means swimmer in latin okay and depressus means flat flat swimmer which refers to the flatness so yeah it's a flat swimmer which pretty adequately describes what this thing gets up to although as we'll see in this paper it does more than just swim it also dives. And I literally only wanted to cover this paper because it has 3D images or sort of 3D renderings of turtle dives, which is very cool, very exciting. They are very cool, yeah. But some sort of facts about this turtle. It has the smallest range of any sea turtle species. It's endemic to so in, continental shelf so waters like of northern where Australia. Where it's distributed as opposed to yes. where an individual range is. Species yeah. is as okay. a species, yeah. Individually, they do bowl about. I mean... Uh, 
I don't know about that. I wonder if they also might be the sort of like most localized as individuals as possible, but um, can't say that. It certainly sounded like they were chilling out in the same bay all year round. Yeah, which is unusual. Remember the other sort of green sea turtle and loggerhead papers we've covered? They do tend to get around. Yeah, or the leatherback ones that are just crossing oceans. I mean, leatherbacks are just absurd. That's, I mean, yeah, they are the they come into British level, waters. Yeah. 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 They come into British waters, which for any other turtle. That's a no go. Just, well, it does happen to other turtles. And then you see them on Facebook getting <laughs> rescued because they're just on the beach. <laughs> they're frozen. It's just awkwardly cold. They <laughs> can't do anything. Yeah. And some dog walker just like sort of finds them and then calls the relevant authorities, hopefully, which does happen. There's been mm-hmm. a couple already this year of. Um, sea turtles getting stranded but yeah we're talking about the flatback turtles um they're gelatinivores which is exciting they like eating jellyfish mm, and sea cucumbers and the idea behind this paper was to kind of find out what they were doing when they were diving so what is the nature of their underwater behavior so turtles sea turtles they're aquatic but they breathe air impractically Obviously, you have lots of animals which dive underwater. You've got seabirds. They're considered divers because they sort of mostly exist out of the water, but then they dive into the water to hunt their prey. So they're called divers. Whereas animals which spend most of their time underwater but have to breathe air are known as surfaces. So that's animals like seals, whales and turtles. And they dive for lots of different reasons. Obviously, you know, most of their lives take place underwater. They're foraging down there. They might be searching for things down there. They might be resting down there. They even socialize underwater, presumably, if they are socializing, (laughs) whatever that means for turtles and mating, but also traveling. You know, they're not swimming at the surface very much because the surface is a dangerous place. And really the sort of foraging stage of flatback sea turtles We didn't really know much about it, uh, mainly because until recently, we didn't really know where to go to find them when they were at sea. But recently, scientists discovered that there's this year round coastal aggregation of flatback turtles in the Kimberley region of northern Western Australia. And so because there's been this population discovered that basically hangs around off the coast of Australia all year round, they've been able to study this foraging sort of stage of their lives. Obviously, when they're nesting, it's a bit easier because they come onto land. It's out there. There is. Similarly, you know, the babies are coming off the land. You can see them when they're babies. You can see them when they're nesting. But when they're actually just doing the turtle thing, hard to actually work out what they're up to. And um, the bay is called the Yawuru Nagalagan Roebuck Bay. And it's part of the Indian Ocean near Broome, northern Western Australia. And it's quite shallow, isn't it? This area of water. They yeah, 20 metres. Usually less than 20 metres. Yeah. yeah. With a large tidal range. It goes up and down by 10 metres. Yeah, so it must be quite a dramatic sort of bay. It must be pretty stunning if only tw- you know twenty meters of water plus big tidal shifts. I'm feeling you show up one day and it looks completely different to another day. It's what I'm what I'm getting <laughs> vibe wise. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, dynamic place. Yeah, muddy, muddy with sand flats. And I think um, the fact that it's intertidal, a lot of this area is probably good for the turtles because they eat gelatinous things which probably hide in the mud and then come out once the tide sort of forces them well not forces them but allows them to come back out and sort of look around and yeah in order to study these animals they were attaching multiple bio loggers so they recorded turtle dive behavior using what they refer to as high resolution multi-sensor bio logging ben what does that mean it's just like strap a smartphone to a turtle right you've got a bit of gps and sort of location recording stuff in there you've got basically an accelerometer for how fast the turtle's sort of accelerating back or slowing down. 
I think they had something to measure angle and sort of the pitch and sort of direction. I was going to say the turtle is facing, and actually they don't have what the turtle is facing because that presupposes that your sensor is perfectly calibrated to the front of the turtle, which they couldn't guarantee, so they had to do a little bit of sort of jiggery-pokery to make sure that the numbers that they had actually represented where the turtle was facing. Yeah, I think that was pretty... That pretty much covers it, right? Acceleration, deceleration, direction and sort of wiggliness and angle. Yeah, and they obviously had to catch the turtles in order to put these on, and they did that, what they refer to as either a hoop net, which is just, you know, as it sounds, catching them in a big net, or what they refer to as the rodeo technique, where you do the Steve Irwin thing, you dive off the front of the boat, jump on the turtle. I mean, I know what I'd be wanting to do if I was a turtle researcher. Let's add a little bit of fun and danger into this situation. Freak the turtle out. using a boring net. Well... I mean, I don't think the turtle, you know, as far as the turtle's concerned, whether the predator's using a net or by diving on it, it's getting attacked either way. So, I don't know. Yes, maybe. <laughs> I wouldn't want to assume that those two things are the same. But, uh, hey, you got at the end <laughs> of the way. day, if you're studying a creature using biologging, it has to get captured and restrained at some point, in some way. So, yeah. there's always going to be a cost to it. But the point is, you've got to make sure that that cost is minimized relative to the benefits and the sort of quality of the data and the use of the data you're getting out of it and i think if there's one thing that really comes out of this paper is oh my gosh did they get some incredible like density and quality of data out of this it's yeah outrageously impressive i think what was it an average of two months ish 56 days ish worth of data per turtle and they had 24 turtles i think so huge quantity yeah, they stuck transmitters and stuff on 28, but four Which of them, is, something went, various things yeah, went wrong. Classic. So yeah, they ended up with 24. But yeah, like you say, they have this big, but also multifaceted and very complicated data yeah. set of different different logging things which you kind of need to sort of make sure are in communion when you analyze the data because you've got things which are measuring what angle they're facing. You've also got things measuring how they're moving around, where they are in terms of like geographic position so um yeah i think part of the cool depth i forgot about depth that's an incredibly important one how deep they are under underwater that's the other aspect that they're measuring yeah so they're kind of combining all these things in order to create well these really cool images of the dive pattern of turtles and obviously they're analyzing these alongside but i just love that in the paper there are these like little plots which show you the trajectory that the turtle took underwater and i remember like months probably years ago we were talking about they had this for penguins and possibly elephant seals or something elephant seals is the example they have in the um discussion i think yeah yeah, but now finally they've applied it to something cool. And <laughs> oh, they got loads of they got over four thousand cool. instances of dives. This is a monstrous data yeah. set. It's, it's very impressive. Yeah, and one of their intentions was to try and sort of categorize certain dive types, see if there was particular right. dives that they could relate to, like foraging or resting, or and see if they change over the time of year and whether it's sort of connected to other sort of things, whether they're doing a sort of dive at a different time of day, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And they weren't able to pick out particular dives to do with particular behaviours, but the time of year thing they were pretty successful on, I think it's fair to say. And they did manage to pick out some kind of differences between how the turtles behave between the summer and the winter. And bear in mind, you know, 
the water temperature does vary a lot. There's about 10 degree difference in the water temperature between summer and winter. So it's quite a different environment for an animal, which is, you know, so-called cold-blooded. And um, thermal conforming. Yeah, what they found was that thermal conforming. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I would imagine so. Yeah, I don't. I mean, maybe they bask. It does say that they bask, actually. Yes, that was one of the things that they sit on the top. Yes, it was somewhere in the discussion. That's quite chill. Yeah, that's quite. Nice. I know it sounds so peaceful, turtle, doesn't it? Just warming rays. yourself under it the does, yeah. under the sun in the winter months or summer. Well, it months. sounds peaceful, Ben, but you know what hunts on the water's surface? Tiger sharks. Yeah, risky. And they do eat these things. Yeah, and so do saltwater crocodiles. So probably better to be underwater if you can be. But um, going back to their summer dives, in summer they dived to shallower depths generally and for shorter durations. So, you know, like we said, the water's not very deep. They were usually diving about 20 metres down in the summer and for around 12 minutes. And also they were diving more frequently and they were waiting between dives for less time. So in the summer, they're kind of doing this more hectic dive schedule where they're like diving a lot, but not that deep. And they're just coming up and down a lot more frequently. And, you know, they're staying on the surface for a couple of minutes and that's it. Then conversely in winter they're diving much deeper so they're averaging around 45 meters when they're diving and they're also diving for longer durations and that suggests they're moving into deeper water as well in the yeah winter because obviously we did say the bay is only about 20 exactly meters. it's mostly 20 meters was what they say in the at the beginning of the method so it's presumably there are plenty of areas that are over 20 meters if they're diving 40 plus Yeah, exactly. So they're diving deeper in the winter, but they're also diving for longer. So they're staying underwater for like somewhere in the region of 23 minutes rather than 12 minutes. So nearly twice as long, actually. And they're also diving less frequently and they're also spending more time at the surface. So you kind of got this summer winter divide where winter is characterized by longer, deeper dives with bigger breaks in between. And summer is like more busy, hectic dive schedule. They're going down, they're coming up, they're going down, they're coming up. And this makes sense because... As we said, turtles are ectotherms, they're cold-blooded, and so if the water's warmer in summer, their metabolism goes up, and they need more oxygen to do their things. You know, swimming is more oxygen costly in warmer water, and that makes sense as to why they would have frequent shorter dives. They're probably just running out of puff, and in winter, where they're a bit cooler, they are using less oxygen in order to power their little bodies, and so they tend to do deeper dives, which gives them more opportunity to bowl around underwater and maybe there's sort of a shift in where they need to go for what they're hunting for what they're foraging for too potentially if you've got warmer waters maybe you've got stronger sort of convection currents so things if you're thinking i don't know i don't know much about jellyfish but i was under the impression that jellyfish are relatively relaxed with where they go in terms of <laughs> letting currents do a lot of the work for them. I'm not saying they're lazy. I'm saying yeah. they're just using currents. And therefore, if you've got sort of higher convection do. from warmer waters, maybe you've got more dispersed jellies into shallower water, perhaps. Yeah. Jellyfish, I used to always think that they were just sort of milling around, but they're actually not, are they? They do make Yeah, they decisions. have direction. They have eyes. Yeah. They have intention. Yeah. It's just not always clear how deliberate they are. Right. But that's, yeah, that's what I'm I sort, of, sort of making out that it's using currents as opposed to being completely inept and just being taken wherever the water goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They are thinking about it. There was also some differences between day and night. So during the day, they hurried between the surface and depth. They were swimming down faster. 
which could be because they're running out of air, but it also could be because most of the predators hunt at night, hunt during the day. Mm. So, you know, you've got tiger sharks swimming around looking for you. Better to hurry down to the deeps so that you're not interacting with those creatures, which are very scary for a turtle. Have you seen that video that came out recently? There's some drone footage of a tiger shark trying to eat a turtle. No, I haven't. Oh, it's mad, mate. So the turtle, I was just so impressed with the turtle's behavior. So like the turtle knows the tiger shark spotted yeah. it, right? And it's not a massive tiger shark, but it is an adult. Like it's probably, I guess, three meters long, maybe two and a half. It's big, but basically it keeps trying to swim and attack the turtle. And every time it does, the turtle shifts its body and presents the shell to the mm. tiger shark. So the tiger shark's just like trying to grab a flipper to like nip it off yeah. or whatever, but it just can't because the turtle's so adept at turning its back on the tiger shark. And it does it like 10 or 15 times and eventually the tiger shark's just like, oh, this is really a pain. Well, presumably not a uh, flatback turtle. I don't know. I couldn't tell. And I mean, to be honest, I probably wouldn't be able to tell from... A, I mean, maybe. I guess knowing where it was would help. But regardless, I wonder if these guys have a similar behaviour if, if it wasn't one. I would imagine so. I would imagine so. I mean, they spend their entire lives, what, 99% of their lives underwater dodging <laughs> dodging tiger star- sharks. So I imagine that they've got their own suite of abilities to mitigate the risk, right? Yeah, got to. exactly. So yeah, basically this paper was just a kind of demonstration that you can use these methods to understand the diving behavior of turtles. I think the only thing they could go beyond would be to actually just stick a camera on them and then you could say, okay, this behavior is yes. this, this behavior is that, a little bit more accurately. That, as well as having a, an accelerometer on the head of the turtle, because what they're sort of missing... Uh, yeah. So this is what sort of made this study a lot more difficult for turtles compared to like mammals and things because so let's say you're looking at a seabird you know a traditional diver they can't spend so long underwater so dives are more likely to have a single purpose whereas they highlighted multiple times in this paper because turtles have that where their metabolic metabolic rate can have much more extended dives i think the highest one was 112 minutes or something like that you're probably having a dive that is used for multiple purposes so you can't easily classify it because oh it's a bit of foraging a bit of resting a bit of something that looks like foraging in terms of speed and direction but it might be that head movements are different or something like that that they're not picking up with this data set because it's attached to the carapace not the head so there might be yeah sort of additional subtle differences between foraging and non-foraging behavior that they can't capture with this data set which is outrageous because this is already such a out- wonderfully high-resolution data set. To think that there's even more, I mean, there's always more, but they do mention towards the end that maybe head movements would be able to pick out some of these different behaviours a little bit more effectively. Mm. Yeah, because they mentioned that with green sea turtles, didn't they? Because they had them on the backs of green sea turtles and they thought that worked a bit better because right. green sea turtles, they mostly eat like seagrass and stuff, unless they're being fed squid, but they mostly eat seagrass and so... What they tend to do is when they're sort of grazing, they'll end up positioned vertically yep. so that you can tell, oh, that turtle's vertical in the water column. That's weird. It like, must it be must doing be something particular. On, on yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, these guys are eating jellied animals, so um, they don't have Exactly. How different does eating a jellyfish look from just swimming and finding, going from point A to point B sort of thing? It's going to be tricky to tell. Yeah, I reckon that just about wraps it up for the old flat-backed sea turtle. Natator depressus. Should we move on to our 
brand new, well, we've got a brace of brand new species, actually. We do, yeah. So this paper is by Venegas, Garcia Ayachi, Chavez, Arribas Plata, Garcia Bravo, 2022. Four new species of polychromatic spiny-tailed iguanian lizards, genus Stenocercus, from Peru, published in Zootaxa, like so many new species are. But before we talk about this, Ben, I just want to have a bit of a gripe, because the amount of species that were described this past three weeks with stupid names that I cannot find. It's so unbelievably <laughs> You're going to bring up the jaguar salamander, aren't you? <sighs> yeah, that really wound me up. Someone named a, a salamander after a jaguar. Like, I get it. Like, you know, you like jaguars. Cool. But jaguar's already an animal. What if it Give was it a it car brand? Name. Would that make it better or worse? That's what... That, <laughs> significantly worse. <laughs> but also, blooming Leonardo DiCaprio's got his finger in the the species pie and they've named one after him and his child Ugh, it's just aggravating and there was about no, no joke like five or six species that we had to discount because they were just named after somebody's mate and we just don't care about that i'm just just to them just, to <laughs> just get it out of anyone, here you know like sorry if that was you who named the species like no you know but come on let's use a bit of ingenuity <laughs> please so thankfully these species have mostly got good names. We're going to focus on two of them. That have the best names. Yeah, that have the best names. They're We're just biased in a different way. We want species names that speak to its ecology or its location or its Absolutely. look. Absolutely. That's all I ask. Like, that's our preference. Yeah, like, you know, somebody's going to have to dedicate a portion of their life to studying this animal. It's like, oh, yeah, what, what animal do you study? It's like, oh, yeah, it's called such and such. It's named after some matey who's been dead for 100 years now. Like, just don't care. Like, don't care about it. It's stupid. It's so lame. Well, we, I'd be I mean, if it we were just talking about our wonderful flat, flatback turtles. And we were perfect. loving that. That's yeah. the perfect name. Yeah, exactly. But also it's like, you know, we're up to 4,000 species of snake alone. Remembering the names of species is a thousand times easier if there's like a little glimmer of clue about it in the name, you know? Anyway, get off my soapbox. <laughs> but yeah, the tropical Andes we're in this time. Obviously, high levels of endemism, combination of uh, lush forest, high altitude, lots of different species. And this genus, Stenocercus, contains 76 different species of lizard or did prior to this paper. I guess we're up to 80 now. And yeah, we're going to talk about just a couple of them. The first one we're going to describe is called Stenocercus asin lignus. Mm. And this one has got an absolutely fantastic name. And it means, what is it? Trunk lizard. Well, asin is climb or ascend and lignus is trunk. So it's trunk climber or climbing trunks, referring to as arboreal habitats, which is... That's, yeah, yeah, and you know what? You might see it on the trunk of a tree when you're out in the Andes forests, and you'll think, "Oh, maybe that's Asin lignus, the old trunk climber." Just makes sense. It's nice. Yeah, living inside of tree trunks along sort of forest edges near crops and things. So it seems like it's at least relatively, what's the word, tolerant of agricultural land or certainly like disturbed areas. It seems that's always slightly good to hear because it means that they're probably going to persist yes that would be the hope they're about seven me seven meters god i wish imagine that imagine oh, that biggest lizard. you know you're farming your yucca plants or whatever in a seven meter 
lizard comes crawling out of a massive tree. That would be... Stenosaurus! Yeah, I'm, yeah um, <laughs> that would be mental. I'm not sure if they'd be tolerated in cropland as, as much. <laughs> they'd be... I'll tell you one thing, they'd be extinct if they were Probably. But yeah. seven centimetres in length in terms of SVL and an additional, like, eight or nine centimetres tail length. So... And they're pretty. The male's particularly pretty. They've got this like nice black collar, green head, and sort of some nice green splodges on the body. Body. <laughs> on the body. I think it's the females that are green, aren't they? Uh, yeah, the uh, males are the ones with L. the grey and the very dark collar, and then the females are the ones that have the green sort of shift in coloration, right? H adult female. Nah. Which is K adult male. Nah. Oh, so they nah. can both have green. D-E, adult female. Nah, it's just the males that are green, mate. And Which one are you looking at that's a female and F green? and G. Oh, G, F and G. Like the no, most yeah, green right, one? You are. They are green, <laughs> but they don't... <laughs> yeah, so, so variably you're green. Right, they are quite green. Regardless they're, they're of variably sex. variably green. Yeah, regardless of sex. But the males have the black yes. collar. Very collared lizard. Right, I can black see. Black collar. That is a green... Yeah, that is a green lizard. And it is a female. And it's a wonderful, it's yeah, a really nice intense green too. It's bordering on fluorescent almost. It looks really intense, really lime. Almost like someone's mm. um, sprayed them with a, like spray paint from a distance. You've got those little, that speckling effect, but really, really intense. Yes. And these ones are found in the pre-montane forests of northern and central Peru. At quite high elevation, 1,500 to 2,000 metres in river basins. So pretty cool. But like you say, they also seem to be tolerant of human habitats. And indeed, many of the pictures of them in this paper, they seem to be scrabbling around on houses, which is kind of cool. And which other one are we going to do? Stenocircus, Calawasia. Yeah, which is even more tolerant. Even more tolerant of human yeah. environments. Love that. Legend. Yeah. And it's named. So it's good to know. After that. So it's basically meaning the Qualwa bit is meaning lizard and the Wasi bit is meaning home or house so you have house lizard or lizard of the home because they are willing to live on human yes. houses it's in oh i don't Isn't know how to pronounce that quechu is a language it's the, those words are coming from quechu quechu oh quechu we had this language a couple of episodes ago didn't we it's the language of like ecuador yes. as well it's not one language it's like a, a family a of languages quechua quechua, quechua. Quechua. Excellent. Yeah, Quechua. Something like that. Yeah, and this is another nice green lizard, to be honest. It actually doesn't look that different. It's got a spiky tail, which is kind of cool, but yeah, bright green head. I would describe it as... Oh, no, that's a different one. I'm looking at the wrong pictures again. I need to do better. <laughs> <laughs> Don't be too hard on yourself, yes. mate. I would it's... say that this one has been sprayed with spray paint at a closer distance so the blotches are more intense, more numerous, and larger. Yeah, it's a really pretty black and green lizard with a little pink tum-tum underneath. Adorable. Mm. And again, given the name, house dweller, Kalawasi, there's a picture of one basking on a roof. I bet you the reason it says not collected, I bet they couldn't catch it. It does. Yeah, there's a very telling line. When disturbed, they hid under roof tiles in holes between bricks and in the slip between the roof and the wall. Yeah, I think this is one of those lizards people spot hiding out in locations and then it just, it goes, it's gone. <laughs> so yeah, really nice paper describing four new species, very efficient use of paper to describe four in one go. And the others are quite pretty and green as well. So yeah, welcome to science, four new species in the genus Steno, 
circus. Yeah. Beautiful, as it's beautiful. Have you got any other business this week, Ben? I don't. No, that's all me. That's nope. fine. Nor do I. So, um, yeah, I think that all that really remains to be said is that you can find us on social media. If you want to do that, we're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can find us on there. Equally, if you've got a correction or you just want to ask us a question or get in touch, herphighlights at gmail.com is the best way to do that. And yeah, if you want to become a patron and support the podcast, you can at patreon.com slash herphighlights. But yeah, other than that, thank you for listening. Thanks for listening.